Just a heads up, this episode contains some sensitive language and subject matter. Welcome to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. We disagree a lot on this show, but if there's one thing we probably can agree on, it's that reality TV isn't exactly prestige material. Some TV and movies are, well, bad. We've been having this conversation for a long time, from the dawn of the soap opera to the inception of the Hallmark movie, to our fascination with MTV's The Real World. Recently, it's been Netflix's Love is Blind in the trashy TV spotlight. In our landscape of endless streaming options and peak TV, we still choose to watch the bad stuff. But could the bad stuff ever actually be good for us? They are not just escapism. They are not just fun. They are actually important, and I'm saying important with a capital I. Culture critic and podcast host Kristen Meinzer joins us on Hear Me Out in just a moment. Stay with us. This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. Thank you so much for joining. When it comes to one-year-old Ashlyn, Jeremy, you are not. Gabby, will you accept this rose? Yes, of course. My diamond earring came up in the ocean and it's gone. And there's people that are dying. Would you stop taking pictures of yourself? Your sister's going to jail. I mean, if we're real, you went on this show to get famous. Look, whether we want to admit it or not, some of the things we want are just trashy. That feels like a, a fairly easy thing for us to agree on. Um, nobody is watching Mori Povich or The Bachelor or The Kardashians or Love is Blind and thinking, yeah, this is art. It would be pretty easy to blame our fascination with trashy media on social media. It lends itself to clicks and spectacle and replies and responses and hot takes. But think about MTV's heyday or your aunt's favorite soap opera or maybe a Hallmark movie that you think is better as a drinking game than as a piece of cinema. The truth is we have loved watching the vapid, the tacky and the tasteless for as long as we have been watching anything. Many people, including me, think this stuff is a vice that we're better off without. And in lieu of that, a vice we should try to avoid, at the very least. But our guest today feels very differently. Kristen Meinzer is a culture critic and podcast host, and she argues that not only does trashy TV matter... I think that vapid pop culture matters, and it matters deeply. And when I say vapid pop culture, I'm talking reality shows... I'm talking romance novels. I am talking the things that most people look down their noses at or make fun of, even if in their private time they consume some of these things. They are not just escapism. They are not just fun. They are actually important. And I'm saying important with a capital I. Wow. Okay. So my initial reaction is, wow, that's wrong. Um, so I look forward to hearing... <laughs> I look forward to hearing you explain yourself. Um, so can we start with, I guess, standards? When you say vapid pop culture, I assume you're talking about things like Real Housewives, right? Or um, F-Boy Island, novels. for example, Married at First Sight. Uh, I'm talking about things like that. I'm also, in terms of, you know, uh, broader things you watch on the screen, made-for-TV holiday movies, which um, some people may say are all exactly the same plot, especially on networks like Hallmark and Lifetime. Uh, I'm also talking about Amish romance novels. I'm talking about uh, Christmas mystery romances. I'm talking about things that really get ridiculed. And of course, daytime soap operas, though there are not that many of those left. 
how bad can it be for you to still think it's important with a capital I? In other words, um, are there different levels of quality when it comes to some of these shows? Right? Do you say, okay, Real Housewives is important, but a, a talk show in the style of, of Maury Povich is not? Like, are there levels? You know, I, I, I think there are a few different ways that all of these different kinds of media and genre speak to what I'm talking about when I say important with a capital I, um, from the Maury Povich's all the way to the Christmas mystery romance novels. So can I just walk through a few of these with you and why? Yeah, would you? Because I, I would love to know what makes them valuable. Okay. Well, first and foremost, I just want to speak to the idea of women's voices. A lot of what we ridicule in this world as lowbrow, as vapid, as not smart are uh, media that have women at the center, women as the authors, women whose fantasies are being fed or fulfilled. Uh, and in a lot of cases, the things that we call vapid and stupid have women at the center. When we're talking about all of the made-for-TV movies on Lifetime or on Hallmark or any of those channels, we're talking about movies that have primarily writers, directors, and cast members who are women. We have audiences who are primarily women. Likewise with a lot of these reality shows. And the reality shows in many cases are casting women who have been determined to be too old to be sexy on on shows that have, you know, more traditional narratives um, on scripted shows and so on. So when you're on an unscripted show, and we all know unscripted isn't really unscripted, but yeah, right. when you're on a reality <laughs> show, it's possible to be a woman over 40. It's possible in many cases to be a woman who is fat or doesn't have the conventional body type that's quote unquote attractive or Hollywood. And I, I have to give credit to, even though I'm not a fan of The Real Housewives, the Real Housewives is one of the only places that actively recruits women over 40 to be on. And that's pretty much every show in their franchise. So I'm taking my hat off to them. I'm taking my hat off to all of those networks like Lifetime and Hallmark who are casting shows with women, who are employing women. But also in the case of the history of Lifetime and other made-for-TV movies, it's a grand tradition of telling women stories that didn't always get attention that, for example, um, they, they were considered a little too emotional, a little too um, lifestyle-y, not important. But who's to say that stories of women who are living with disordered eating or who are escaping abusive relationships or sexism in the workplace, like all of these topics I'm talking about right now have a light that's shown on them or shined on them, sorry, um, in, in made-for-TV movies, we got to see these stories on the big screen for two hours at a time when they're broadcast on TV, sometimes longer over the course of a miniseries. And they weren't getting attention in major Hollywood movies. They weren't getting attention in highbrow media. And so this is an opportunity for certain stories to be illuminated and be given attention. And I'll also throw true crime into this lowbrow universe as well. And I think true crime gets made fun of a lot for the same reason. I think true crime fans would take umbrage at the idea. They would might be offended that you're comparing that to to Real Housewives. But that said, that you know, you you make a good point. Absolutely. 
But some of these shows are ethically problematic. <laughs> um, and not only do we have shows that uh, sometimes are made by men, in other words, the executive producers, the people making money off of them are largely men and very often white men, but some of these shows actively perpetuate and even encourage really damaging stereotypes, damaging lifestyles. I mean, let's take, for example, and so I guess this this is me asking whether you're talking about you're saying that important is the same as good for society. Um, because let's take a look at Biggest Loser, for example. Mm -hmm. Right? This is um, a show that nutritionists now say did a huge amount of damage to an already dysfunctional and toxic relationship between Americans and food. Right? It perpetuated this diet culture and a really punishing and damaging diet culture that people watching it it encouraged them to believe that what they were seeing was healthy, et cetera, et cetera. Right. I don't have to make that case for you. I would say that show was a damage to society. Do you disagree? Oh, I don't disagree. But um, I think you just brought up something a couple of minutes ago that I think is important to differentiate. Important does not necessarily equal good. In some cases, important is good. It is important to shine a light on certain issues that a lot of media shines a light on. The exploitation of children, for example, has been a huge part of the true crime industry. Um, yeah. But the way those stories of exploitation are told, not always good. Oftentimes fear-mongering, oftentimes racist, oftentimes yeah. feeding into the idea that the only lives that matter are those of precious little blonde girls. So... Is that good? No. It's important, though, because it is shining a light on certain things that uh, we should know about. Certain people who don't always have voices are given voices in those stories. And, um, you know, and that is good. And so I would say, you know, important and good, not always the same thing. Sometimes there's a blurry line there. And as far as The Biggest Loser, to go back to that, yes, yeah. we all know diet culture is terrible, Celeste. You and I yeah. both know for a fact it is absolutely yeah. terrible. I'm living it, yeah. Yes, and, and we <laughs> swim in it. And uh, it, it, it's impossible to escape. We live in a world with fat phobia, with industrialized food, with a lot of problems that all kind of cannibalize each other and profit off of each other. It's terrible. And I'm not saying any of that's good, but I do think it's important that we have these shows that launch conversations and the conversations and research that have come out of The Biggest Loser. There are volumes of research that have been done by real legitimate scientists about how diets affect metabolism and so on because of the participants on these shows. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I'll continue my conversation with Kristen Meinzer and we'll ask, of all the things we could watch, why this? This is Hear Me Out. Stay with us. And we're back. This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. Thank you so much for spending time with us. There is limited time in a day, as we all know. So I asked Kristen Meinzer to explain why anyone would want to spend that time watching bad TV. Sometimes it's fun to turn our brains off. And I think that we should give ourselves permission to do that from time to time. Not everything has to be nutritious. Not everything has to be productive. You should know this as the author of <laughs> Do Nothing. Um, and, and sometimes things just are pleasurable and delicious, like s'mores 
or, you know, <laughs> crackers or the cheese I just ate for lunch. You know, not everything has to be nutritious all the time. And also, I would say that maybe, Celeste, it's a little classist to presume that everything should be nutritious all the time. Not everything has to be the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, not oh. everything has to be the Smithsonian all the time. And oh, in some oh. cases, there's an educational or access divide there or, you know, frankly, um, an interest divide. Not everybody enjoys reading Shakespeare in their spare time. And that's totally okay. Maybe they don't enjoy reading Shakespeare in their spare time because they were not brought up reading Shakespeare. Maybe because culture evolves and it's okay to instead listen to really, really mediocre rap music instead that you're finding on YouTube. You know, that's fine too. Okay, so number one, it sounds like you're calling me bougie, uh, which is, I mean, you're you're skirting the line here of, of civil dialogue because you nearly insulted me. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say you're classier than I am. Okay, just I, I am just I'm just being forthright about this. And I know this about you. You are a classier person than I am. You actually are a trained opera singer, okay? You're you're from a long line of esteemed high-class people. I am not. <laughs> right. I, the black side of my family has degrees going back to, you know, just after the Civil War. Look, I come by it honest. I'm not going to argue, but it is a borderline insult here. Um, okay. But, you know, again, if you look around at some of the issues that really plague society, right? Um, the things in terms of not understanding one another and in terms of being able to curate our lives, what we watch, what we read, what we listen to, so that we only watch things that perpetuate the beliefs we already have, that strengthen even sometimes the biases and stereotypes that we already have. And then you take that into Washington and it becomes a kind of polarization which really hurts everybody. So, you know, you go to something like The Bachelor, um, which has been very, very long a, a, a majority white show that perpetuates stereotypes about marriage, love, and especially women. And then we go to, to DC. How do you disconnect all those people watching The Bachelor from the complete misunderstanding about women's rights, women's independence, um, the vo you know, it, it, in terms of, of uh, marriage rights sh that should be, include everybody in society and the LGBTQ plus community? How do you disconnect those two things? Because I can't. I don't think that... We should disconnect them. I, I do think it's important to look at the ways that all of these are connected. And sometimes the trashiest content that we are looking at is actually examining these issues. I mean, lest we forget, how did we first find out about Donald Trump grabbing women by the pussy from a really trashy celebrity gossip show? <laughs> he was caught on a hot mic doing that. And even shows like Real Housewives at this point are examining race and privilege in America. And these are real tough conversations that are happening on these shows with women who seemingly are very out of touch but are seeing the consequences of being out of touch in real time as their audiences push back on them because we now live in a mediated age between audience and uh, screen talent where they're talking back and forth to each other. And so these consequences are happening in real time. You can act as out of touch as you want to on The Bachelor, and then you can get fired from your job hosting The Bachelor because of that. And these are real things that have happened. 
let's take a different point in this argument, because I'm not quite convinced if you can't tell yet. And that is the quality argument, right? Like we should be encouraging people to be their best selves. We should be rewarding great art, great writing, great cinematography. We should be rewarding that and holding it up, right? We should be uh, encouraging people to appreciate beautiful things. Uh, I'm just going to say, Celeste, Uh beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And a lot of things that get dismissed (laughs) in one era get embraced in the next as the highest, as the best, as the pinnacle of culture. You just were talking about how badly some of these were made. Yeah, some of them are. But let me give you an example here. The Beatles, when they first launched, were just considered a group for teeny bopper girls. And they were kind of like the Justin Bieber of their day. People dismissed them, look at them with their shaggy hair, they're a flash in the pan. And now we look back on them as one of the greatest, if not the greatest, pop quartets of all time, right? So it's easy to dismiss content that is designed by or for women and girls. And that is just one instance of it. They were thought of as just vapid and silly, but now we all admire them, or at least I do, and so do a lot of pop culture critics. So I I, I would say they've held their own over the course of time. And I think that they're just one example. This has happened many, many, many times with literature, with art, with musicians, that something that is dismissed in one era can be seen for the greatness that it is later on. And oftentimes, it's stuff that's designed for women. Okay, that in the best of circumstances, like you're you're using the Beatles as an example, which means you're going for the ideal example. You know as well as I do, there are plenty of these trashy TV shows and reality TV shows that will not be seen as good in an in a later era. I mean, no, that's not happening for I, I, I mentioned Biggest Loser. What's the one that had Honey Boo Boo on it or or some of these TV shows? There's no way there's going to be a, a reconsideration of some of these shows, okay? Not to mention the fact that there are plenty of these shows um, and podcasts, frankly, that are created to specifically play to the worst in us, that are created to say that attract people who are at least unconsciously believe in white supremacist notions, uh, men who are the incel movement, you know, misogynists. There, there are entertainment that's designed to make money by playing into these really awful beliefs everybody has. So you not only have this thing of creating beauty, and again, I say you know perfectly well, whether you're going to admit it or not, that 95% of this is not going to be considered beautiful later. But then there's the other thing that they, some of them truly are ugly, that they are commodifying hatred and stereotypes and bias and dangerous beliefs. Absolutely. Some of the stuff that I love most in the world does that. Like, I will confess, in another era, I couldn't turn away from watching 19 Kids and Counting, back when it was 14 Kids and Counting, the Duggars. I watched it, but there is something to keep in mind, Celeste, that audiences are much smarter than I think a lot of people realize. Was I watching it because I wanted them to proselytize to me about the Christian patriarchy movement because I wanted to be like them? Or was I watching them more because... It was so different to me. It was like visiting a zoo 
It was fascinating. It was giving me insight into something that actually was and is a major political movement in America, the Christian patriarchy movement. And this show was a way to get a little glimpse of what that was. And so for me, it wasn't a way for me to be converted into that way of thinking. And I am guessing most people who watch Sister Wives are not watching that show because they also want to be part of a Mormon patriarchy movement and be a sister wife themselves. I am guessing most people are not watching Honey Boo Boo because they want to enroll all their daughters and nieces and nephews in the pageant scene. I I, I don't think that most of us are watching these shows thinking, I want to be converted to that way of thinking. Do you think everybody is as sophisticated and well-educated about this as you are? Do you really think that the majority of the audience is making the kind of nuanced distinctions that you are? Or are some of them seeing that as confirming what they already believe? I think there is a mix. But I mean, these shows I just mentioned here are all uh, TLC. And the TLC network, I'm not sure if you know the shorthand, but a lot of the viewers refer to it as the leering channel, not the learning channel. (laughs) And so the fact that, you know, within popular culture, a lot of people call it the leering channel makes me think that the majority of people watching are not watching because they want their beliefs confirmed. I'm sure some of them are. I'm sure there are people who watch 19 Kids and Counting and think, I want 19 kids, and then I want each of my 19 kids to have 19 kids. And Hmm. I like the idea of being a stay-at-home mom, and I like the idea of my husband being in charge of the finances. I'm sure there are a very small number of viewers who that appeals to them. And there's something really wholesome about watching a family you know, make do, trying to provide for that many people. And there's something about that that I'm sure some people really enjoy just on its own terms. But I also think a lot of people are watching because they're thinking, oh, goodness. Oh, gosh. What is this all about? Is watching this kind of content, as Kristen says, wholesome? We'll unpack that after this quick break. This is Hear Me Out. Stay with us. And we're back on Hear Me Out with me, Celeste Headley, and our guest, Kristen Meinzer. Let's return to that question of whether something as scandalous as reality TV can actually be good for us. I think that it's unfair to somehow put the onus on reality TV as if there's more corruption there than any other seat of power in America or seat of entertainment. Because scratch the surface of the music industry, of the film industry, of politics, as I said, you're going to find corruption and problematic people in all of these places where power, fame, and money meet. They will be there in all of these places. It's not something that reality TV or, uh, you know, trashy made-for-TV movies, it's, it's not that they have that market cornered in any way. It's everywhere. There's also the danger involved and the number of people who've been injured, sometimes quite seriously on some of these reality shows, especially the ones where they're put through physical, really strenuous tasks or dangerous tasks. You're, you're okay with that, that people are doing that just so they can be on TV? Oh, I love, there's one of those shows in particular. I just love Celeste. You should check it out. It's called Naked and Afraid. And Please two don't tell me that they're strangers naked and afraid. are dropped into a remote location to fend for themselves for 20 days, naked and afraid. They're literally naked. Yes, they're literally naked and they're afraid. And of do, you know what they're the, afraid. do you know what the prize is that they get for completing? Oh, God. Is it a Tootsie Pop? 
It is glory. They get glory. So they get jack squat. (laughs) They get the sense of accomplishment for having stayed alive during those days, naked and afraid. Um, And some of them, to get back to your point, some of them have been injured very, very badly. Some of them have injuries that last for years. I'm talking, you know, infections, illnesses, things that are still in their body years after being on the show. And I would say, is anybody being forced to do that? I don't think anyone's being forced to be on Naked and Afraid. Nobody has come to my door and held me at gunpoint and said, you have to be on Naked and Afraid. I don't have to be on it. So if people are Buyer cheering to be beware, on it. Kristen Meinzer says. <laughs> All right. So in the spirit of, uh, in the spirit, I'm not sure you have fully con- convinced me, but I, I have to say you have good arguments. But in the spirit of a, of a civil debate, tell me an argument from the other side that you find valid. Okay. So I think that, to go back to The Real Housewives, I think that it is sad to see a show where most of the storylines, if there are any storylines at all, I, I've had a hard time watching that show. My attempts have been mostly unsuccessful. Where most of the storylines are, I am drunk. I am yelling at you. You're yelling at me. I'm whispering behind your back. We have way too much stuff and we don't know what to do with it. And by stuff, I mean like expensive shoes, cars, clothes, et cetera, living in mansions. We have all this money. We have no manners and we have no kindness. And the whole point of the show is for us to be drunk and be mean to each other. And that makes me sad because I don't know women who are like that. And there are probably people in the world who watch that show and say, oh, that's the way women are. I'm sure there are probably a few people out there who watch the show and it's confirmation bias for them. Like, oh, women are the worst. Drama. Backstabbers. They all compete with each other. They're not to be trusted. And it's like, that's not true. You and I know that, Celeste. You and I love women. Women are great. <laughs> like that's They are. <laughs> You're and, great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I, I do think that in my ideal world, that would not be the storyline that has to be pushed. But people I know who watch the show religiously and who love it say that if I gave it a chance, I would see that it's comic gold. And a lot of what they're doing is poking fun at certain stereotypes of how women interact with each other, that they are essentially playing up the whole dynasty idea, but taking it to 11. And I'll be real with you. Back when I was a little kid, my Nana and I would watch Dynasty together and cheer when, you know, Alexis and Crystal would pull each other's hair. We totally enjoyed that when I was a little kid. And if this is just an amped up version of that with some comedy thrown in that also gets to employ women who are in their 40s, 50s, and 60s, then, you know, have at it. And while I don't want to see women who are quote-unquote real women fighting with each other and getting drunk and that's their whole shtick, I can see that if we can look at them as essentially actors, they are actors on reality shows and they are not really unscripted, they are scripted, that maybe it can be enjoyed in the same way that Dynasty was back in the day. What entertainment is widely available that you think is bad? I'll take all the trash TV. I, I will take all of these shows that we're making fun of right now. I'll take those. And I also would just add one other thing that for, you know, I I, want to make this clear here, Celeste, I'm not calling you bougie when I say this, but I'm just saying (laughs) in comparison to your family, my family, you know, my Nana didn't graduate from school. Um, My mom did graduate from high school, but that's it. And a lot of what we would do for entertainment is watch network TV 
but also read the tabloids. A lot of how I learned how to read was the National Enquirer and reading the celebrity gossip, reading the Royals news, watching these shows that a lot of people would think were trashy, and having conversations about the ABC Monday Night movie about a battered woman or watching the reality show where, you know, this woman is trying to date this guy or whatever it was. And I don't need all the media out there to target people who go to the New York Ballet. It's fine for some of the media just to speak to those of us who read the National Enquirer. That's fine. So clearly I have not changed my mind on reality TV or Hallmark movies. I still think they're bad. Um, And I think most of us would be better off using the very rare, precious moments of free time that we have, choosing something that's a little bit more carefully and artfully made. But I do take exception to the idea that I'm elitist because I, I have that opinion. I don't think that is what makes people elitist. When I think of elitist, I think of someone who is trying to keep other people out. You know, the standard definition of elitist is someone who thinks society should be led by the most intelligent, the wealthiest. And I definitely do not believe that at all. I think there are lots of low-budget TV shows and movies that are actually very well-made, well-written, well-made, well-acted, all those things. So, yeah, you know, I get she's joking, and I love Kristen, but I don't think I'm an elitist. In any case, thanks once again to Kristen for joining us. You can find her on Twitter at Kristen Meinzer, Slate at Slate, and me at Celeste Headley. Let us know what you think and what trashy TV, if any, do you watch and love? Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations. And Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your mind, but keep it open. <laughs>